you know that as you rise in the polls, people are looking into your back in, into your past. Yep. And in fact, somebody has uncovered uh, in college. You were the, I've seen the video. You were a libertarian rapper. Explain that, Mr. Ramswamy. <laughs> well, look, they, I, the things they're digging up, they're going deep. And I have to say, some of these opposition research stories are false, but I will confirm that one is true. I was a little bit of a libertarian freestyler in college and had some fun with it. Do you That's remember accurate. any of that rapper? Do you have some freestyling to do today, Vivek? Well, it's not like a kind of thing you remember, right? You just sort of you just say what you're inspired to say. So, you know, I, I like that's kind of what I'm doing on the campaign trail in some sense is freestyling my message. All right. Very good. You, people, you, go ahead. You want to join us on the campaign trail? You know, you want to join us on the campaign trail? You can do that. It's a, I, I often open up. I say my name's Vivek. It rhymes with cake. It ain't about thee. It isn't about me. It is about thee. The United States is about liberty. So Fox and friends, join us on the trail. We'll have some fun. I'll see you out the trail. Very nicely done, sir. Fox and friends, join us on the trail. We'll have some fun. I'll see you out the trail. Oh my goodness gracious, friends. How lucky are we that in the year 2023, which marks the 50th anniversary of the birth of hip hop, we are introduced this self same year to perhaps the greatest MC who has ever lived, Vivek Ramaswamy. Definitely the best, definitely the best rapper who has ever run uh, for president. And definitely the best future president who has ever been a rapper. Oh my gosh. What are the great immortal rap couplets? It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine or thinking of a master plan because ain't nothing but sweat inside my hand. And to these immortal rhymes, we now add Fox and friends, join us on the trail. We'll have some fun. I'll see you out the trail. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Vivek, Vivek, Vivek. Okay. Anyway, so my name is, uh, oh, sorry. I should introduce the name of the podcast before I introduce the name of the hosts. The podcast, in case you don't know, is called Election Profit Makers, consistently ranked one of the top podcasts in the world and one of the most delightful podcasts in all of human history. And yesterday, we just got a huge uh, blue ribbon from the state fair they said we were the best podcast at the fair and that we turned the best butter with our mouths. Mouth butter, words and phrases that you can use to bake new ideas in the oven of your mind. My name is Kid Midas, the original Wave Rider, and I'm joined on the line by nobody because Long John Silver, my co-host John, had a last minute thing come up, so he can't record today. I'm recording this on Tuesday, August 29th, just FYI, so you can place my comments in context. John is not able to join me, and I did not have the wherewithal to wrangle a last-minute co-host, so today we're doing something a little different. I guess you could say that I'm going to take a guitar solo with my mouth. Eddie Van Halen is in full effect, or should I say Slash, because I am wearing a top hat and you can't see my eyes because my long hair is covering them. This is going to be a short episode, and it's just going to be me. I'm not going to sub subject all of you to 45 minutes or, or God forbid, an hour of me talking to myself. That dynamic will simply, it's simply unsustainable. What we are going to do is a shortened episode in which I will assume the role that I have for lo these many decades long to play. And that is the role of the esteemed academic liberal arts professor who is addressing his crowded lecture hall. This, this lecturer, whose name is Kid Midas, the original book reader, 
is one of the most popular lectures on one of the most popular teachers on on the leafy New England liberal arts college where he teaches. And each fall semester, his uh, auditorium classroom is overrun with eager students who who sit with bated breath, hanging on his every word as he explains the texts and the thoughts of his precious mind. And and in doing so, he molds the future the future conceptual frameworks and dare I say paradigms of his students. So today I come before you not in the role of podcast host or talk radio host, but as humble, tweedy-jacketed, leather-elbow-patched professor. My subject area, all of human experience. My pedagogical philosophy, have fun and look good doing it. And my um, only uh, requirement of you this week, my dear beloved listeners, or should I say students, is that you take detailed notes of every bit of wisdom that tumbles out of my mouth and that you remember, you remember this class long after you've graduated, long after you've gotten your first job at a amoral Washington DC based consultancy, which you promise yourself you only do for a year or two to pay off your student loans. But then sure enough, you tumble into the lifestyle and you can't give up the fancy restaurants and valet parking and beautiful one bedroom apartment that you have overlooking K street or wherever. And then you wake up 30 years from now and realize you've wasted your life and abandoned your principles. And then your mind turns back to that august institution where you got your bachelor's degree. And you remember the words of a professor, a very, very successful and popular professor who everyone agreed was one of the great teachers of the 21st century. And you remember with a chill that he predicted this very state of affairs, that you would attend his lectures and enjoy his wisdom. And yet, As you matured and went through life, you would ignore his supplications to always stay true, to never sell out, to be a 1990s indie rock snob for all time. And then you think as his words, you know, you know, that poem where he says, um, there are things, uh, things which I may not speak. There are dreams that cannot die. There are thoughts that make a strong heart weak and bring a pallor into the cheek and a mist before the eye. And the words of that fatal song come over me like a chill. A boy's will is the wind's will. And the thoughts of youth are long, long thoughts. And Fox and friends, join us on the trail. We'll have some fun. I'll see you out the trail. All right. So I can't, I literally cannot remember what I was just talking about. I'm really, uh, I'm really discombobulated flying solo here, but we're going to have fun. You know, that's the great thing about being helicopter Tony. Sometimes a helicopter only needs one pilot and friends, that pilot is me. So without further ado, let's begin this week's lecture. Your parents are paying $50,000 a year for the privilege of you attending this lecture. So let's get to it. We have a couple things to talk about. Uh, Obviously, we have the GOP debate that happened last week and which I watched. I actually signed up for Fox News and and watched it on my laptop and it was I have no notes. I thought it was terrific. I think the Republicans are blessed with a with a wide variety of quality candidates. I will say one thing, though, which is Tim Scott didn't do shit. And I'm so pissed off that I ever invested money in Tim Scott. I paid nine. I I've talked about this before. I have 400 shares in Tim Scott being the GOP nominee because my. My my thinking was that Donald Trump would not be the nominee because his he would have explosive diarrhea of the head and he wouldn't be able to uh, accept the nomination because he would be in the ICU for the rest of his life. And that Ron DeSantis, once people realized he was not really human, that he would they would take a pass on DeSantis and that would leave Tim Scott. Now, I paid nine, an average of nine cents to buy 400 shares that Tim Scott would be the nominee. 
thanks to his stellar debate performance where where he commanded the spotlight and people couldn't stop discussing his provocative and charismatic ideas, he's now trading at three cents. So I'm way, way underwater on Tim Scott. Okay. Nikki Haley, meanwhile, at nine cents because Nikki, oh, and look at this. And, and, and Chris Christie is at three cents and everyone thought he was going to be such a big deal. And he completely punked out. Why is Chris, how many chances does Chris Christie get? Oh my God. This dude gets more chances than Chance the Rapper. Hmm. Hip hop reference. I'll do a lot of rap references this week because we have to celebrate uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy's hip hop career. So I'll throw in as many um, cultural references to rap and hip hop as I, as I possibly can. Cardi B. Okay. Mike Pence, another person who was who everyone thought did such a great job at the debate, or I should say all the Democrats thought he did a great job at the debate because he stood up for the Constitution and he stood up for swearing an oath on the Bible to protect Jesus Christ at all costs. He's still trading at two cents, so he's not going anywhere. Meanwhile, Donald Trump holding strong at 63 cents, even though he was indicted and mugshot last week. Ron DeSantis. <laughs> America got to watch Ron DeSantis learn how to smile in real time. Uh, during the debate. And with that uh, came a surge of he went up to um, 15 cents, now tied with the upstart, you know, the hot young MC Vivek Ramaswamy, also trading at 15 cents. Now, during the debate, when he was absolutely peaking, when the uh, cocaine, or should I say the fish scales were absolutely hitting him, just so, just so, he reached a peak of 21 cents. It might have been 22 cents. And I know I should have sold. I know I should have ridden the wave and jumped off right at the peak. But I thought somehow that he would continue to climb after the debate because I assumed conventional wisdom would say he was the winner of the debate. Because why? Because he was the biggest asshole on stage and the GOP just wants to vote for the biggest asshole. Why do we have to overthink all this stuff? Trump is still the number one king asshole. But if Trump's not an option... You got to go with Vivek, right? He came across as the biggest asshole. So I assumed he would climb and climb and climb. Well, he didn't. Although there was one very influential person, one of John Kimball's personal heroes, who did uh, have a take a liking to Vivek. He doubled down on his colossal dick sucking and dick riding of Vivek. Elon Musk, during the debate, tweeted, Vivek is increasingly compelling. And not to be outdone, Vivek turned around later that week and said, according to Politico, that he might pick Elon Musk as a potential advisor in the White House if he won the 2024 election. Quote, I've enjoyed getting to know better Elon Musk recently, which, first of all, as an MC, he really is doing amazing things with language. I've enjoyed getting to know better Elon Musk recently. I expect him to be an interesting advisor of mine, he said during an Iowa campaign event on Friday. I expect him to be an interesting advisor of mine. Now, that is a very... <laughs> That's a power move. Or should I say that? Like, that's a power statement. I expect him to be an interesting advisor of mine. Elon Musk, join us on the trail. We'll have some fun. I'll see you at the trail. All right. One, there's only a couple other things I wanted to mention about this infernal debate. One was that, surprisingly to me, the second question, I think, was actually about climate change, which seemed kind of radical for Fox News. But then I noticed for the first and only time in the debate, the debate moderators, who were terrific... They didn't ask the question. They punted to a video of a young college kid or a young activist asking the question about climate change. And I think that's the only time they did that, where they where they kicked the question over to a member of the public. It's almost as if Fox News didn't want to have to ask. <laughs> they didn't want to be seen having one of their hosts ask a question about climate change. They were like, well, you know how these stupid kids are so upset about how the world is on fire. We'll just have one of them ask the question. 
Anyway, the only thing I wanted to say about that was that Vivek Ramaswamy, I think this was in the moment where they asked everyone to raise their hands if they believe in climate change. And Ron DeSantis said, we're not going to do that. We're not children. But Vivek's hand had shot up. This dude can raise his hand faster than anyone, faster probably than any MC in the history of, of rap music. These hands went, his hand goes up so quick, right? And he said, the climate change agenda is a hoax, which I don't understand because the climate change agenda is an actual thing. It's Say what you will about climate change. You can believe climate change is a hoax, but the agenda itself is real because that's what you don't like, right? So how can the agenda be a hoax? Unless what he meant to say, and I, I hate to second guess a wordsmith and poet and, and world-class MC like Vivek, but maybe what he meant to say was climate change is a hoax and therefore the agenda that purports to solve climate change is illegitimate. Right. That I think that's what he meant to say, rather than the climate change agenda itself is a hoax, because if it's a hoax, that means it's not real. Maybe maybe hoax is one of these words that's kind of losing its meaning, because doesn't Trump always say like the Russian witch, the Russia witch hunt is a hoax? Well, no, the Russia witch hunt is real. And, and you and you hate it because you think it because you think what it's based on is a hoax. Maybe that's a Vivek, you know, is a sponge like all great MCs. Right. Vivek is so is soaking up influences from the East Coast scene, from the West Coast scene, from the from the Atlanta scene, right? From the Houston scene, all this stuff. And so maybe like Trump, he has decided to to play with the official definition of what a hoax is, because a hoax I thought was like a trick or a goof or something that's not real. Anyway, does everyone understand what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying, right? Okay. Now, let's talk about another. This is so fucking weird doing this by myself right now and just talking to myself. I wonder if anyone is still listening. I wonder if everyone in the class has walked out and if I'm actually speaking to an empty auditorium. And you know what? I kind of hope I am because in my mind, that would speak to my own credibility and my own integrity that I continue to run my fat fucking mouth even as I see student after student walk out of my classroom in absolute disgust because they they are like, how can I be expected to follow the incredible meandering mind vomit of this of this professor? I haven't even completed my core curriculum, right? And I'm obviously teaching a PhD level class right now, but it's okay. I forgive everybody for leaving. But for those of you who still remain, all you all you teachers, pets, and brown noses, brown nosers who are sitting on the front row, let's discuss the following. Donald Trump famously was not at the debate, uh, the GOP debate, and I thought maybe that was a mistake. I guess his 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 rationale was, why should I stand around and get beat up by the by these losers? It de- it de- it would be demeaning. I would demean it would demean my my stature to suffer the slings and arrows of these outrageous jackasses all ganging up on me. So instead, they all ganged up on Vivek, who I'm pretty sure they actually all hate more than Trump, because somehow, amazingly, Vivek is more annoying and odious than Donald Trump, which is incredible. But I wondered at the time, maybe this is a mistake. Maybe Donald Trump will rue the day he decided to skip the debate. And now this is only one article and it's only one poll. But listen to this from The Hill. Former President Trump saw a slight decrease in his support among Republican primary voters after he skipped the first GOP debate. According to a new poll from Emerson College, the poll, which was conducted August 25th through 26th, found 50% of GOP primary voters said they planned to vote for Trump, down from 56% in a pre-debate poll and the lowest support to date in an Emerson poll. Meanwhile, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley saw this largest post-debate boost. She jumped, skyrocketed, exploded from 2% 
to 7%. Ron DeSantis, everyone's favorite governor and one of the coolest, most natural humans to ever grace the debate stage, he's at 12%, up 2% from 10%. Then Mike, now, now Mike Pence here in the real world, in a real poll, got 7%, up from 3%. Whereas on Predict It, let's remind ourselves, he is currently laboring at 2%. Maybe a little bit undervalued on predicted? Hmm, could be a buy opportunity, friends. The poll found that 27% of voters felt entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy won the debate last week, but it did not immediately translate to an increase in his support, which dropped from 10% to 9%. Oh my goodness gracious. So again, we have this wonderfully American dynamic where the biggest asshole on stage is thereby considered to have won the debate. And yet maybe in the end actually alienated his few, you know, alienated some some voters. I guess the way you become president is if you're the biggest asshole and also simultaneously someone the voters would want to have a beer with. So you have to be, yeah, you have to be an asshole that people want to have a have a beer with. That's it. I've just solved it. Attention East Coast and New England listeners. Heed my words and mark them well. The Election Profit Makers will be hosting a live episode of their podcast at Wesleyan University in Connecticut on Thursday, September 14th at 7 p.m. There will be a fun meetup afterwards at a local bar. The event is free but you must register in advance. Go to bit.ly slash epmnct. Again, that registration link is bit.ly slash epmnct. So Fox and friends, join us on the trail. We'll have some fun. I'll see you at the trail. Hey everybody, it's me David. I got self-conscious about talking into the microphone all by my lonesome, so I have uploaded my consciousness to the metaverse and will now speak to you in my robotic form. So anyway what was I gonna talk about? Oh, right, all the Trump mugshots. Holy shit. What an amazing array of glamour shots. You know, it is said that the eyes are the window to the soul. And I agree. You can really get a sense of someone by gazing into their eyes. And, after spending many hours looking at these mugshots, I am ready to share my analysis of the souls of Trump and his co-conspirators. Let's begin. Mugshot number one, Donald Trump. We begin with the super intense, super tough mugshot of our former president. John was convinced Trump would smile for his photo, but I knew better, sure enough, Trump has blessed us with one of the darkest scowls of his entire career. It's like he ingested Cash Money Records' entire catalog of album covers before posing for the mugshot photographer. His eyes are notable for two reasons, they seem larger than usual, and they also seem a bit red, as if Trump had recently been crying? Or maybe hitting a fat blunt? In any event, his theatrically stupid attempt at looking badass belies the many hours he must have practiced in front of a mirror, or while gazing at his own reflection in the toilet bowl. Thanks to the listeners who wrote in about the so-called Kubrick stare, the shot composition used by Stanley Kubrick to indicate when one of his characters has gone totally insane, a slight forward tilt towards the camera, with a slack-jawed emptiness or maniacal grin splayed across their stupid insane face. Alas, Trump wasn't quite able to pull it off correctly. He's too tense, too practiced, and too scared. I give this mugshot a rating of 4 out of 10 farts. Mugshot number 2, Rudy Giuliani. America's mayor has always been incredibly photogenic and this mugshot is no different. 
He looks a little like the Crypt Keeper sucking on a lemon, and his blazer seems to be five sizes too large. He leans towards the camera as if he's about to tell you about the most amazing timeshare opportunity. And yet, his patriotism and empathy shine through. He gets extra points for the American flag pin on his lapel. As one of the great patriots in our country's history, forever known as America's daddy, the man who rode 9-11 all the way to heaven and back again, we will always tear up and salute when we see Rudy's American flag lapel pin. I guess the only question is when Rudy will have to take all his flag pins to the pawn shop to cover his legal expenses. Again, John somehow thought Rudy would smile for his mugshot. Well, um, that didn't happen. I give Giuliani's mugshot 9 out of 11 stars. Stay strong King. Mugshot number 3, Mark Meadows. Moody Mark Meadows has always been a mopey sort of guy. When his case reaches the discovery phase, we'll probably learn that he has a basement full of Midwest emo demos he recorded in Mar-a-Lago's secret recording studio. Meadows obviously tried to put on a brave face for his mugshot, but he didn't quite pull it off. Instead of a defiant grin, or a square-jawed stoicism, we see what can only be described as a watered-down Mona Lisa smile. An academic would describe this mugshot as a rich text, an inexhaustible semiotic minefield of denial and despair. I give this mugshot a tear-stained 7 out of 10 promise rings. What a dork. Mugshot number 4, Cindy Powell. Okay, now this is a proper Mona Lisa smile. Nat King Cole would definitely approve. UNC's own Sydney Powell looks as though she's watching a bunch of snakes fly out of a birthday cake, and is delighted by the spectacle. This is a properly creepy mugshot. It screams, keep away from me, lest you burst into flames. No notes. I rate this mugshot 10 out of 10 birthday cake snakes. Mugshot number 5, Jenna Ellis. Jenna Ellis, who worked on the Trump campaign's legal team, gives us her first proper smile. A grin as wide and welcoming as the American Southwest. Is she being booked for election interference, or is she auditioning for Bama Rush? Any sorority would be happy to have her sparkling grace and high spirits among its sisterhood. Hooray for Jenna Ellis. She looks as though she knows everything is going to be okay. I give this mugshot 8 out of 10 keck parties. Mugshot number 6, John Eastman. LOL. This is an instant classic. John Eastman. Trump's election lawyer, is in Nietzsche mode here, totally staring into the abyss in this mugshot. He looks like that little guy from Lord of the Rings who lived in a cave and tried to steal the magical ring from the Hobbit. 9 out of 10 stars for this indelible portrait of someone in the midst of Ganon. Mugshot number 7, Kenneth Jespiaro. The architect of Trump's fake elector's plan, Kenneth's mugshot makes him look like the most miserable character in a John le Carre novel. He doesn't look unhappy so much as haunted. This is what I imagine people look like when they're standing in front of a Soviet firing squad. I will say, he seems to have an amazing head of hair. Anyway, fuck this guy. I rate this mugshot 3 out of 5 little drummer girls. Mugshot number 8, Scott Hall. Scott Hall was one of Trump's operatives in Georgia. He looks like a car salesman who ate a football coach. His mugshot would seem to be totally run-of-the-mill. Except for one thing, he is wearing the most insane flag lapel pin I've ever seen. It's actually a cross, with an American flag motif. Jesus, plus America, plus lapel, equals acquittal? We can only hope. 
Now I understand why Rudy Giuliani looks so sour in his own mugshot, he probably saw Scott Hall's lapel pin and got jealous. I guess Hall nails the Mona Lisa smile, but again, that crazy lapel pin just steals focus. I give this mugshot 8 out of 6 stars. Mugshot number 9, David Schaefer. David Schaefer looks fun. Too bad he's going to prison. Mugshot number 10, Ray Smith. This is the greatest mugshot ever taken. Ray Smith is accused of falsifying testimony about election fraud, but his mugshot is one of the most true and honest portraits I've ever seen. Holy shit, holy shit, does this dude look miserable. He's doing the Kubrick stare, but it's 20 times scarier and more desolate than anything in The Shining or A Clockwork Orange. This dude looks like he is already in hell. Plus he's wearing a blue polo shirt with a white undershirt peeking through? It's like they grabbed him up in the middle of his shift at Best Buy. Oh my goodness gracious. Please 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 do not spend more than 10 seconds looking at this mugshot or you will fall into a portal that winds up in Satan's butthole. Beware. Of. This. Mugshot. I give this mugshot a rating of 6 out of 6 out of 6 stars, if you know what I mean. Mugshot number 11, Kathy Latham. Kathy Latham was one of Trump's fake electors. She somehow looks like a lady who collects haunted porcelain dolls, while also being a haunted porcelain doll herself. I don't like looking at this mugshot. 1 out of 10 stars. Mugshot number 12, Harrison Floyd. Harrison Floyd was the executive director of Black Voices for Trump. He's already been charged with attacking an FBI agent investigating Trump's attempt to steal the election. So you know he's a badass. And sure enough, he looks kind of cool in this mugshot. It's really hard to get a read on his expression, he's inscrutable, like one of those weird poker players you sometimes see when you're watching TV in your hotel room and there's nothing on, so you're like, yeah. I guess I'll just watch a bunch of sociopaths and wrap around sunglasses play cards for three hours, like what could be more exciting? Anyway, good luck to this idiot. I give this mugshot 3 out of 5 card studs. Mugshot number 13, Jeffrey Clark. Jeffrey Clark, a former Justice Department official who tripped on his own dick, will hereafter be known as the king of mugshots. This dude manifested something truly special. I can't tell if this is a smirk, or a scowl or a look of confusion, or an upside-down shit-eating grin, but one thing I know is that it is one hell of a facial expression. It looks like he's auditioning for a Nickelodeon cartoon. 10 out of 10. This mugshot makes me very 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 happy. All hail Jeffrey Clark, the king of mugshots. Mugshot number 14, Robert Chile. Boring. Next. Mugshot number 15, Mike Roman. Also boring. Next. Mugshot number 16, Sean Still. Sean Still had the great honor of being appointed as one of Trump's fake electors, a solemn responsibility not to be taken lightly. Like many of the other doofuses we've discussed, he has a real college football booster vibe. His hair looks a little wet. His expression is basically saying, I guess this isn't quite working out the way I expected. His face is like if the phrase shucks was a phenotype. Very basic mugshot. 2 out of 5 footballs. Mugshot number 17, Stephen Lee. There's a well-known trope about the shortest and saddest story ever written. The story goes, for sale. Baby shoes. Never worn. Because the baby died. The end. Well, I get a similar vibe whenever I see a guy wearing a clerical collar in a mugshot.
It's like, okay, well obviously some shit has hit the fan in this situation. Stephen Lee is a pastor who intimidated one of the poll workers in Georgia. And I guess he thought he would get some sympathy, or maybe donations to his legal fund, if he wore his preacher outfit to go get his mugshot. Not sure that's a good idea, honestly. He looks raggedy as hell in this mugshot. He also maybe looks a little drunk? Far be it from me to second-guess the sobriety of a man of the cloth, but come on bro. You look sloppier than Jonah when the whale spit him out. 5 out of 10 stars. Mugshot number 18, Trevian Cuddy. In the words of Ludwig Wittgenstein, whereof we cannot speak, thereof we must remain silent. Mugshot number 19, Missy Hampton. And so, finally, we reach the end of our rogues gallery. Misty Hampton was an election supervisor who got up to some shady shit on behalf of Donald Trump, her beloved president. She looks a little orange in this photo. It makes me wonder if she smeared bronzer all over her face in honor of Trump, like how football fans paint their faces with their school colors. Anyway, as a wise person once said, if you lie down with dogs, you wake up with fleas, because the fleas jumped from the dog's body over to your body while you were both lying down and so it's kind of your own fault you're covered in fleas, you damn idiot. I give this mugshot 5 out of 20 stars. Well, class, that's it. That's the end of the lecture. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that attendance counts for 100% of your final grade, so all of you should have no problems passing this class and achieving a wonderful future befitting such an attentive and intelligent uh, group of students. It's been my pleasure uh, talking to you this week. John will be back next week and we'll re we will resume our regularly um, scheduled wonderfulness. I guess all I have left to do is to read the credits, so I'm going to give it a shot. I know, this is, I know I can't hold a candle to Long John Silver, but let me give him my best shot. Election, uh, election profit makers is... Uh, boy, this is quite a bit harder than I thought. <laughs> oh, don't worry, folks. I'm just having a little fun. Election Profit Makers is an independent production. We welcome your support on Patreon at patreon.com slash election profit makers. And if you sign up for the Patreon, you'll receive some wonderful EPM stickers in the mail. Send your election prediction questions and field recordings and ley line uh, discoveries to contact at electionprofitmakers.com. And if you want to advertise with us, email contact at electionprofitmakers.com. Here ended the lesson. Goodbye. <laughs>